0: If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to be looking at 2 Samuel 3, verses 17 to 27. Folks, listen. This is God's word. And Abner conferred with the elders of Israel, saying, For some time past, you've been seeking David as king over you. Now then, bring it about. For the Lord has promised David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel, from the hand of the Philistines, and from the hand of all their enemies. Abner also spoke to Benjamin. And then Abner went to tell David at Hebron all that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin thought good to do. When Abner came with 20 men to David at Hebron, David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel to my Lord, the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. Just then the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid, bringing much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David at Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told Joab, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king and he has let him go and he has gone in peace. Then Joab went to the king and said, what have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you have sent him away so that he is gone? You know that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you and to know you're going out and you're coming in and to know all that you are doing. When Joab came out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner. And they brought him back from the cistern of Sirah. But David did not know about it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. And there he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. This is God's word. The parable of the prodigal son is probably one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. It's one of the stories that I think most people, even if they don't know the Bible, they've heard of the parable, the story that Jesus told about the prodigal son. And let me just give you a real quick synopsis of it. A man had two sons. The younger son um, asked for his inheritance early, before his father died, and he went off and spent it frivolously. He ended up homeless after all his money ran out, and he had a job. He was feeding pigs on a farm. And as he was there, he realized that even the servants back at home in his father's house had a better life than him, so he sort of packed his bag, tucked his tail between his legs, and in shame went back home hoping that his dad would hire him. The story climaxes, right, with the son's return to the father. The father's been watching for the son, and when he sees him a long way off, he takes off running down the road. He embraces his son. He he affirms him. He kisses him. His son has this apology speech ready, but his father wants none of it. He He cuts his son off. He declares him to be a son again and throws a feast to celebrate that his family is once again complete. Now, everything is wonderful except that the man had two sons. The man had two sons. That's the opening line in the story when Jesus tells it. Everyone had joined in this party and celebration, except for the older brother. The older brother is fuming. He's irate. He is filled with jealousy, rage, a desire for justice. And so during our confession time today, we actually saw the conversation. We rehearsed the conversation that ensued when the father went out to try to appeal to his son, to the older son who didn't want to come in. Well, that's the story that we're going to see played out today in our passage. In 2 Samuel 3, this section of verses, you know, last week we saw Abner returning. He was like the prodigal who returns. Abner's like the younger son. He returns to David, and David receives him with grace and gives him a second chance. Well, today we're going to see the two ways that this grace impacts people. Okay, We're going to see the impact of grace on Abner, And then also on Joab, who unfortunately is like the older brother in the prodigal son. Abner loves grace, but Joab hates it. Joab hates grace. And so as we watch this scene unfold, our hearts are going to be both encouraged and convicted. Because we're going to see ourselves and some of our relationships um, in this scene as we watch it play out. And so three points today. If you want to take notes there. Um, First, we're going to see that Abner thrives in grace. Abner thrives in grace. Second, Joab despises grace. And then third, Joab kills grace with justice. So Abner thrives in grace, Joab despises grace, and then Joab kills grace with justice. And so first, Abner thrives in grace. This is verses 17 to 21. You see this flurry of activity. And really, this activity of Abner, it's the joy of new grace. When you experience grace, this is what happens in your life. Abner's been accepted by King David. He's been forgiven and welcomed back. And so what he does then is he then goes out to all the elders of the nation of Israel and Benjamin and to try to convince them to side with David. Right? Verse 17, it says he conferred with the elders of Israel. Then verse 19, he also spoke to Benjamin. And so what Abner did was David was reigning over one of the 12 tribes. And so Abner goes to all the other 11 tribes and he says... He's like evangelizing them. Hey, you need to follow David. You need to follow him. Abner is alive with grace. He's received grace from David, and he can't help but share it with other people. And this is what grace does in your life. When you experience grace, you have to tell others. You've got to share it with other people. You can't hold it in. And so David's grace pushes Abner and he goes out and he begins to proclaim this as good news. What's he saying? He's saying, "Hey, we can return to the king. We can go back to David. David will receive us even though even though we turned against him, even though we supported Ishbosheth, Saul's son, even though we rejected David, David has welcomed me back and he will welcome us all back. That's good news." That's good news. We can return to the king even though what we've done has been done. He will receive us back and forgive us. Have you experienced this grace? Yeah, you've experienced this grace in your life. The undeserved blessings of God, right? Think about that. His, his favor, his blessings. You know, when was the last time you got struck and you just thought, wow, like, I don't deserve this from God. When was the last time that happened in your life? Has it been a long time? Abner's experiencing sort of that first-time grace. But every time we experience new grace in our lives, this same passion arises. We begin to thrive. And so grace isn't something you just experience once. But it's an ongoing, we believe in what we call at Harbor, grace renewal. That our lives are continually renewed by experiencing God's grace. God's grace. You know, when was the last time it was so wonderful from God that you just had to tell somebody else? Right? I mean, for me, it happened this week. Let me tell you about it. <laughs> I can't not tell you about it. I was getting ready to tell this. i got to tell the story. So... God's grace met me in this amazingly powerful way. Um, I was straightening up the house with the kids. I've talked about this a little bit. This is one of my issues. Okay, this is one of my big struggles when we're straightening up the house. Okay, you might think that sounds trite, but it's not. You know, there are times when I don't. I'm not sure that my sin comes out more ugly than when I'm straightening up the house with the kids. I'm prone to frustration. I'm prone to just a bad attitude. And it was awful because I had a bad attitude going in. I said, all right, we're cleaning up with a bad attitude. And I just knew things were not going to go well. And what happens for me is I just, I, get it, I give in to the anger. I feed the frustration and it gets worse and worse and worse. And what was amazing was, the good news was that God convicted me in the middle of our straightening up. In the middle of what we were doing, he convicted me. And by God's grace, I stopped myself and said, Stephen, what are you doing? You know how you will feel when we're all done cleaning up. You're feeling that now. Why not stop now and try to make it right? It doesn't always happen, right? I mean, usually I'm just, once you commit to the sin, once you commit to your anger, you're just going to let it run through. And then maybe some point later, you, you know, maybe, right, you come back. Well, by God's grace, it showed up. God showed up. And, and I said, all right, Lord, I'm sorry. Man, I'm becoming that. I am that person. I have become that person again. Please forgive me. And so I said, hey, kids, come here. You know, and I'm sure they thought I was going to yell at them again for something. You know, <laughs> kids, I'm sorry. I've been, I'm angry. I shouldn't be. I'm frustrated. I've got a bad attitude. Will you please forgive me? And the kids, you know, just like that. Kids are amazing in terms of forgiveness. They forgave me. I felt the anger just lift up off my shoulders. I felt freedom from that. And the rest of that time was pretty wonderful. After that, I, I, just, I got really convicted. You know how easy it is? And I don't know if it's just with family you know, when you're in your home, you just feel tired. You feel cranky. You just, there's nobody around, you know, who's going to call you on it that you're going to be embarrassed to act that way in front of. You know, and I just realized it's so easy to be critical. It's, and so I said, Lord, I really want <clears throat> that critical self to die. That Stephen needs to die. Thank you that he has died with Jesus and he's been raised up. I need more of that new Stephen to show up. I need that new Stephen to show up, not just at church, not just in the office, not just with everybody else, but with my kids in my family. And I realized, and I committed, like, I want to be more affirming in the house. I want to be more positive, more just encouraging, rather than always looking at the negative. And by God's grace, my heart this week has been changing. And God has been helping me to act really differently this week and so you know that was my experience and and i share it because it can be your experience too that's what god's grace does as we yield to him as we confess our junk to him his grace comes into our life and it renews us it renews our hearts and our lives that's what abner is experiencing for the first time but that's what each one of us can experience on a daily on a weekly basis with our spouses, with our kids, with our grandkids sometimes, right? With your friends, your co-workers. I mean, how much of this stuff goes on in the office, right? I mean, God's grace can come in and set us free. So that's what Abner's experience, and, and what's interesting is that Abner actually teaches us how to share grace in this passage, especially with folks who aren't Christians. Look at verse 17. Abner's almost a little model. He can just walk through the verse and say, what is Abner doing? How does that apply to us? What does he say to the elders of Israel? He says, for some time past, you've been seeking David as king over you. Right? So, so Abner starts with, with what they want. He says, this is what you've been wanting. Right? You've been wanting David to be king. So I think for us, we want to do the same thing with folks that we know who need to experience grace, Christians and not. You can tell them, look, you've told me in the past, or I understand that I know you want security. Right? You want peace. You want to grow in the area of patience. Right? We want to tell them, remind them what they've told us that they need. Okay? So that's the first thing. He tells them what they need. And then the second thing he does is still in verse 17 with this same phrase, he's confessing his own sin. Abner's confessing his sin to the elders of Israel. How do we know that? Well, it's interesting, right? Did that catch you as strange? Abner said, for some time past, you've been seeking David as king over you. So he's telling the elders of Israel they've been seeking David to be king over them. Well, then, if that's the case, why, haven't, why hasn't David been reigning over Israel? Do you understand the question? What's been holding up the tribes of Israel from following David when they've wanted to be for some time? Yeah, it's Abner. Abner's the reason they haven't done it. Abner's the reason they're not following David. Abner was the one who in earlier in this chapter set up Ishbosheth to be the king over all the tribes of Israel besides where David was, right? And so in a sense what David's doing is he's, or what Abner's doing here is he's saying, "Look, I was wrong. You have been seeking David as king, and now I'm not going to stand in the way anymore." He's saying, "I was wrong. I have been preventing you from being able to do what you want." And I realized I was wrong. And so Abner appeals to what they want, but he also confesses his own sin. He's willing to say, look, I've been been wrong in this. I have needed the grace of David. I've needed the grace of God in my own life. And I've received that now. And now I understand why you wanted David. And so, come on, let's go back. So Abner confesses his own sin to them to show them that he doesn't think he's better than them. And then third... Abner just says, they can have it right now. Verse 18, he says, now bring it about. You've wanted this, now bring it about. The only thing that stands in the way, Abner makes it really clear, the only thing standing between them and David is their commitment. Okay? So again, for us, we can tell people, look, you can have these blessings today. Whatever you're looking to God for, you can have them today if you'll just trust in Jesus. He's the one who brings you the blessings and the grace of God. And then Abner reminds him of the promises of God, right? Verse 18, again, he says, remember that God promised David. He reminds him of God's promises. And then, so for us, when you're having a conversation with somebody, let them know, remind them of whatever promise from God will meet their need. Okay, if they're struggling with peace, remind them that, you know what? God has promised that he will make everything work out together for good if you love him. That brings peace. You can say God will give you a peace through Jesus that will last in every single circumstance of your life. That's a promise from God. Your sins have been forgiven. Your eternity is taken care of. You can have assurance with God. That gives you peace. You need to think of what are the promises from God that I can remind this person of as you share with them. And then Abner tells him, look, there's real freedom from the old ways of life. In verse 18, he mentions that that God said, I will save my people from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. So the Philistines were the, the, the other nation that was occupying Israel that was holding them in, I mean, really in oppression. And they were longing for freedom. They were longing to be released from the captivity of the Philistines. And so Abner's saying, look, if you follow David, God will set you free from your old way of life. And that's also part of what we share. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever's holding you down, if it's an addiction, if it's anger, if it's frustration, if it's a bad relationship, God will set you free. He gives you new power, new strength, new desires in Jesus. And that sets you free. Then the last thing Abner does, verse 19, is he goes back to David to tell him what happened. Verse 19. And then Abner went to tell David at Hebron all that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin thought good to do. So Abner reports back. He goes back. And so for us, we call stories like this, we call them grace renewal stories, right? We call them them that because these are stories that rehearse, they're testimonies of how God's grace is working in us. And so Abner has this amazing set of conversations, goes back and can't wait to tell David, right? We need to be sharing these stories about how God is working in us, right? How he's working through us to serve other people. You know, the stories that we have to share with others, we got to tell each other about those things. Because when we tell those stories, it's exciting, it's encouraging, and it's self-propagating. Because you hear stories like that and you think, wait a sec, I believe in the same God. He can do that in my life, right? Or, you know what, I've never said it like that before. And boy, I could probably, I know somebody else who could really use this story for them because of what they're struggling with. And so I want to encourage you even today before you leave, share with someone else the last time you can remember experiencing God's grace. Just tell somebody before you leave because that's the more we tell these stories, the more these stories will actually happen. So when Abner gets back, David then seals their relationship, seals their covenant with a meal of peace. This is verses 20 and 21. David throws a feast he made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. This is like the prodigal son, right? The father throws the feast. David throws the feast. The younger brother return. returned. This is reconciliation. This is restoration. And what's amazing is that, do you know we're going to experience this same thing today? The Lord's table is our feast. It's our meal of peace. God wants us to come every Sunday back to himself as we, re, 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 as we renew our covenant relationship with him. God reminds us of his grace. We talk about, we praise him for his goodness. And then God throws a feast where God feeds us with himself. He eats with us. He tells us that we're part of his family, and he fills us up and washes us again. And what's happening here is that David, King David, In the midst of this scene, David is being vindicated. His methods are being vindicated. We've been talking about how David, throughout this this, this book, David has refused to lift the hand in vengeance, right? He's refused to retaliate, but instead he's been trusting God. He's been trusting in the Lord to bring about what David wants, which is a, a unified kingdom for Israel. Instead of going out and fighting to earn it, David has trusted God and God has brought it to his door. Grace wins. Grace wins. David showed Abner grace. Abner then went out and proclaimed grace to the rest of the nation of Israel. And now they have all come under the rule of David. David was right. David was right not to retaliate. David was right not to instigate conflict but to trust in the Lord. Where do you need to hear that? Where does that truth, that David was right to trust in the Lord and not fight back himself, what part of your life does that truth need to hit? In verse 21, Abner just, he can't wait to even go back out. He goes back out He's even more fueled. It's like, it's sort of, it's this multiplicative effect, right? Grace has changed Abner's heart. He goes out, he comes back, he's sharing stories. He gets even more excited. He's so much assured of the king's peace and a relation with him that he wants to go back out. And he says, I'm going to go save the world. I'm going to go tell everybody. Verse 21, Abner said to David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel to my lord, the king, that they may make a covenant with you and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. And so David sent Abner away. This zeal, this passion that grace causes in your life is what fuels your desire to tell the world. It's what fuels your desire to help other people understand that God is in heaven and that God is gracious and that God is willing and able to make anyone his child to bring healing and restoration to anything that's going on in your life. Sometimes we lose our opportunities to share because we've forgotten grace in our own lives. Um, And I just want to encourage you, press back into the grace of God. Remind yourself of what he's done for you. Remind yourself of what he is doing in your life because that's what gives you fuel. And then share that with others. Recommit yourself to sharing God's grace with others. So Abner thrives in grace. Our second point, this is where the scene turns dark. Everything is going great until Joab comes back. Until Joab comes back. So our second point is that Joab despises grace. This is verses 22 to 25. And it's amazing the, uh, the way that circumstances work out, right? Verse 22 Just then, right? See that verse, just then. It's, it's, It's like Abner walks out one door and Joab walks in the other, right? Just then, right after Abner leaves, the servants of David arrive with Joab from a raid. And then Joab, verse 23, he's told that Abner's come to see David and he's left in peace. And Joab is beside himself. Joab's infuriated and so he goes barging in to the throne room and he confronts the king verse 24 verse 24 what have you done translated i mean that's pretty good but he's basically david are you crazy are you stupid really abner was right here and you let him go what in the world are you thinking? Are you so stupid that you don't know that Abner is here as a spy? Don't you realize you're not going to trust him, are you? David, are you crazy? Now, the question for us as we're reading this text is Is Joab really worried that Abner is a spy? I don't know, maybe. It's possible. The problem, though, is that what Joab says means that Joab doesn't think that grace can change anyone. Okay? He sees that David has been gracious to Abner, but he refuses to think that Abner is changed. Joab has experienced manipulative Abner. Joab has experienced you know, the, the effects of his manipulation in his own life, but he doesn't think that Abner can change. And what's interesting, so Joab thinks that Abner is abusing the grace and kindness of the king. He's frustrated. He's frustrated that the king would show grace. It's almost like Joab is saying, you're not going to let him in here, are you? Who would need to walk into this theater for you to say that, where does grace end in your life? Who doesn't deserve grace as far as you're concerned? I mean, this is touching where Abner's heart is. I'm not, not Abner, I'm sorry, Joab's heart. And the bummer is that, you know, the presenting problem for the psychologist, the presenting problem is not always the real issue right? What Joab's saying is, I'm afraid he's a spy. There's obviously, there, there is a hidden agenda that the story, uh, refused, uh, the, 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 the story um, reveals to us. Um, Joab wants Abner dead because he wants revenge. Last chapter, Abner killed Asahel, Joab's brother. And Joab was going to kill Abner, but then decided not to at that point because he listened to reason. Um, but that reason didn't last. Joab's vengeance, his anger has taken over again. And so he wants Abner dead because he wants revenge. And it could also be job security. Not sure. You know, because Joab, commander of the army of David. Abner, commander of the army of Saul. Now Abner in the court of David. It's possible that Joab was concerned. You can't have two commanders in an army, right? So it's possible that Joab... May have been motivated by job security. Mostly, though, it seems as though the real issue underneath Job's anger, his insecurity, his frustration, his vengeance, is that Joab believes that there should be no grace for the guilty. I mean, that's the real heart underneath what Joab is doing. There's no grace for the guilty. There are people who hate grace. There are people who hate it when grace is shown to the wrong kind of people. And it seems like it's the people who hate grace are the people who are pretty convinced that they don't need grace. Okay, so when you feel that snap of frustration, that snap of Desire for vengeance or justice, or when you get angry because you think somebody else might get by or get over with God, you need to look in and ask yourself, wait a second, am I unwilling to extend grace to this person? Is that what's motivating me? And then ask yourself, wait a minute, am I acting as though I also don't need grace? You know, there are people who act like grace shouldn't be in the world, that it should be justice. That's what's moving Joab here. And nothing David says to him can convince him otherwise. Okay? My sense of this passage isn't that Joab went into the, 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 the court of David, let loose on him, ranted, and then stormed out. I mean, it's possible that that's what happened, but I don't think so. But the story is told this way it looks like a rant and then a, and then a leave i think because the narrator's telling us that nothing david said made any difference in joab's mind okay my guess is that there's probably a pretty long heated discussion i don't think you can back then walk into the presence of the king and just throw it down like that and then storm out okay i think there's a number of folks standing at the door who are going to you know keep you from uh, from leaving but Here's what's amazing is that it seems like David did nothing more than offer Joab the same grace that he offered Abner. You know, David doesn't put him in jail. David doesn't retaliate against him. David doesn't punish him. But David gives Joab grace. And so, again, this is the prodigal son's older brother. I mean, this is where you see it. He's infuriated that Abner didn't have to pay for his sins. You know, the younger brother comes home and the older brother's like, huh? Man, I have been here this whole, my whole life. I've never disobeyed anything and you didn't give me anything for my friends. And yet this loser comes home after spending all of his inheritance and you throw a party for him, right? Joab is exactly the same way. And yet what David says to Joab is like, why are you so angry? Joab, why? Why are you so angry? Don't you realize that I'm only here where I am because God has been great? Joab, don't you realize that you're still here because God protected us? Don't you remember those years, year after year after year after year, where we were running? Remember the time in the cave, Joab? Do you remember that time? Remember that time on the rocky crag? where Saul and his army were right on the other side and we were this close to being found and destroyed and God had the Philistines attack one of the home fronts of Saul and that drew his army away? Do you think we're here because of justice? Joab, we're standing here, you and I, we're having this conversation. You're mad because of God's grace. And by the way, all that I have is yours. You're the commander of my army. Joab, let go. Let go, Joab. You are so wound up. You are so tightly strung because of your need for vengeance. And the only thing that's going to penetrate that is grace. Joab, let go. I hope that none of you will react to God today the way Joab reacted to David back then. Joab stared grace in the face, and he despised it. He despised it. He stormed out, and see, this is such a crucial, there is no more important moment in your life than the moment when you have to make a decision after you've been confronted with grace. Because either you let your heart melt and you allow grace to reign in your life, or you harden your heart. And if you harden your heart to grace, what happens next is absolutely frightening. It's like what Jesus said, um, if you see God's Spirit active and alive in your presence and attribute that work of the Spirit to Satan, there is nothing else that can convince you. I just beg you, if you are holding on to justice, if you're holding on to vengeance, if you're holding on to anger, if you're holding on to anything in your life that doesn't let grace reign, I beg you to let it go. Let it go. Joab doesn't do it. Joab despises grace. And then our last point is that Joab kills grace with justice. Joab wants vengeance and not grace. He has been seething since chapter 2, when he saw his young brother die at Abner's hands, although Abner did everything he possibly could not to kill him. Tried over and over and over again to avoid the fight, but Joab's brother, learning from Joab, wouldn't give up. And since David doesn't side with Joab against Abner, Joab takes matters into his own hands. He lures Abner into a trap. This is verses 26 And 27, Joab sent messengers after Abner and brought him back from the cistern of Sirah, but David did not know about it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. That's awful. I mean, think about for Abner. You know, Abner... There he is. You can imagine him thinking, hey, Joab's going to forgive me, right? David forgave me. David gave me another chance. Now Joab's calling. Oh, Joab wants to reconcile. I can't wait. And Who knows? Maybe Abner had an apology ready for, for, for Joab. Look, I'm really sorry about Asahel. I mean, and even though I could say I tried and tried and tried not to kill him, it was still my fault. It was still my fault because I was the one that moved my troops from Fresno to Oceanside. You remember? Right? I was the one that preemptively moved to threaten. And so, Joab, I'm sorry. Like, who knows what kind of, what kind of story or what kind of apology Abner had ready. Abner shows up looking for peace. And Joab kills him just as Abner killed Asahel. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a gut wound for a gut wound. Abner killed Asahel through the stomach. Joab kills Abner in the exact same way with a wound to the stomach. You wonder how Abner felt, or I'm sorry, you wonder how Joab felt after that altercation. I mean, there's times when there's sort of a deliciousness, a relishing to getting revenge. You know, you've experienced that before maybe. Where you really take it out on somebody and you feel good because you just, you feel like justice was served. But how long after is it that you start to feel guilty? I mean, because where's Joab going to go now? You know, where's Joab going to go? Good job, Joab. Way to go. You got your revenge. Now what? And that's what Satan doesn't tell us about. When Satan tempts us into stuff, he never tells us what next. Oh, if you just do this, Joab, you'll feel better. You'll feel, oh, you'll finally bring vengeance and justice, the honor of your family. It'll be wonderful and great. You know, if you just do this one thing, if you just, you know, if you just slide this under the table, if you just go ahead and indulge this pleasure, Right? It's exactly what you need. And then you do it. You're left there going, what have I done? What have I done? The worst thing is that what Satan does is he turns on you. And then he begins to accuse you. He goes, you dirty, rotten, awful. And then we're stuck. Right? Right? Joab, this is not the path you want to walk in your life. This is not the road that you want to go down. You don't want to kill grace. The thing that is messed up about this is that that Joab thinks he's going after justice, but he's not. Because what Joab goes after is not justice. It's just more sin. It's more, it's it's just, it piles on and it makes the process worse. It makes his life worse. And it's a lesson for us because we can't do this. God doesn't say, hey, you individual, I'm going to give you the right to take vengeance in your own hands. God doesn't give us that right because we cannot do it right. For us, killing grace with justice, you've got to put justice in quotes because it's not real justice. It's vigilantism, right? And so the only one who can actually bring justice, the only one who can bring justice is God. God is the only one who knows how to administer justice. And here's what's amazing. What's amazing is that when God brings justice, he actually joins it with grace. Because in Joab's mind, you either have grace or justice. But with God, God can bring them together. Because this isn't the last time an incident like this happened. The reason Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son was because he knew that it was going to happen again to him. And in Jesus' day, In Jesus' day, the older brother were the religious leaders who could not stand the grace that Jesus was bringing. And in Jesus' day, the older brother listens to the father and then ignores the father, despises the father, and then kills the son. Kills the son. And the miracle is that as, as the religious leaders of Jesus' day put Jesus to death on the cross, God used the injustice of that to bring about his own justice, and that God used the evildoer's plan to actually fix what is wrong with the world. And what God did was he put the justice that is required for your sins and for mine, and he put those on Jesus. So while Jesus was being crucified by sinful people who were doing what was wrong, God was using their sin to bring about the greatest outpouring of grace that history has ever known. And an outpouring of grace that is literally turning the world backwards and fixing what has been broken. There's a passage in the Psalms where it says that at the throne of God, mercy and justice kiss. Mercy and justice. I don't know what the psalm is. I can't remember right now. I'll tell you later. Um, or mercy and justice kiss. And what we find in the New Testament when Jesus comes, that it's not at the throne of God, but it's at the death of God that those things kiss. And that God's justice meted out against our sin was given to Jesus so that if you want to go free, if you want grace in your life, you merely trust in Jesus and God will forgive you. God will forgive you. There and nowhere else is the grace of God more poignantly pictured as that God coming and saying, I will die for them. God says, they are the problem, not me, but I'm going to die. And when God does that, he takes on our sin to show us this is what grace is. And that grace is poured out and poured out and poured out over us to fill us up. It melts our hearts, and it changes us. If you are Abner, it invites you back. If you're Joab, you've got another chance right now to respond to God's grace because Jesus died for Joab too. Jesus died for Joab too, and so if you are like Joab, you can find forgiveness if you'll confess your sins. Let's pray together. God, let this grace flood our hearts. Let this grace melt our hearts and let this grace fill our hearts so that we would be known for nothing but grace. Cleanse us, every one of us. For the Abners here, Lord, bring them back to you. For the Joabs, help them. Stop them in their tracks and help them see that they're despising your grace, grace that they need, and bring them back to yourself. Let older and younger brothers alike in this place return to the cross, finding your forgiveness, and we will give you praise, and we will share your grace with a newfound zeal. We will experience your grace and spread it as far and as wide as we possibly can.